In the most divisive of times, the great debates rage on. Who was the best Batman? Was the book truly better than the movie? Did Han shoot first? Nerds with opinions will seek to answer life's greatest questions. Hello there, fellow nerds. You are listening to Nerds with Opinions, episode number 82. As always, I'm your host, Matt Holden. Today in the podcast, I am joined by guest host Jimmy Levins and returning guests Rachel Herzog, Amanda Murphy, Kirsty Hicks, and Cynthia Borges. And we are reviewing two really, really polar you know, opposite horror films, but really great in their own right. We're reviewing Creep and The Thing, here today on Nerds with Opinions. All right, we are here with an esteemed panel of horror movie experts and fans alike. I am joined by returning guests. I I just recently talked to all three of these gals, Cynthia Borges. Hey. Kirsty Hicks. Hey. Amanda Murphy. Hello. And making a long-awaited return to the podcast, Rachel Herzog. Hi there. And all of the Nerds with Opinions listeners know my guest host for all these movie-related podcasts, Jimmy Levins, the film connoisseur. Hello. So, <laughs> we are gathered here because I have been hosting uh, a weekly horror movie nights for the month of October. It's something that uh, is kind of now a tradition with uh, our friend group. And last year we decided to do some podcasts about them. And we we got we got some of them done, but I'm, I'm bound and determined to, to try to bust them all out. And we're, we're busting out two weeks already. So I, and just today, so I, I'm feeling good about it. And with this group, we are discussing what was week one's selections and how these worked basically how I set up the, uh, the programming, if you will, is I will choose a main selection for the evening and then two audience choice films. And the main selection for this week or last week rather was the thing from 1982, John Carpenter's the thing. And then the audience choice was between creep or hush. And the majority selected creep and, I think we could all agree that was probably a a, a good choice. Yeah, <laughs> I but mean, I still like to thousand corpses. <laughs> I'd still like to watch Hush, but yeah, it uh, yeah. was definitely still a fun choice. So let's actually just go ahead and and lead with that because it was what we watched second. So I think it was it was the you know the most recent thing that we we all left with, and I think that it. Uh, I'm glad that we watched it last because I think it had a very different a different kind of like lasting effect than than the thing (laughs) thing does um so i want to first just just everybody like around the zoom squares uh first had anybody seen this prior i can't remember because there was a good amount of us there in in my backyard nobody had seen it in in this group yeah no never even heard of it we're all we're all creep virgins basically (laughs) okay Yeah, no longer. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I, I um, so, other guys. 
so outside of outside of maybe you know just the synopsis that I gave everybody before we voted on this, did anybody have any sort of you know preconceived notions on what this was gonna be or any expectations? Not at nope. all. Like I didn't even know it was gonna be like hand cam done. Is that the proper term for it? Uh, so POV. POV, okay. Yeah. Found found footage. I was expecting the whole thing to be more like he's not really, like as we call him, creeps. I kept thinking, okay, is this this weird guy that keeps accidentally coming off as creepy, but really he's like harmless the whole time? Is he just like this annoying character, like, I don't know, like uh, like Dwight Schrute or something like that? Or, but I did not expect really it to take, uh, like, I think the subgenre was like uh, uh, mumble horror. Like mumble Corbett, mumble horror. Okay, so you kept saying that while we were watching this. Can you uh, describe what that is? Because I, I, I am not familiar with that term. Essentially, it is a relatively new like sub. Oh no! Oh, oh essentially, it originated from the mid late two thousands, and the terms like uh, was applied to these kind of low budget comedies or comedy dramas that basically were all uh, heavily uh, fueled by improvisation. Uh, oh, okay. Kind of, so, sure. all, so and the, hence, like, the creep literally was fully improvised. And other examples were, like, uh, J. Mark Duplass, uh, Mark Duplass being the starring creep. He's a, a known director of many uh, mumblecore comedies. A few other examples of mumblecore are, like, say, uh, that weird film Cyrus with Jonah Hill and John C. Riley. Drinking Buddies, uh, and then there's like a couple other ones. But like in terms of famous directors, uh, J. Mark Duplass, Lynn Shelton, who did like Hump Day and uh, uh, and My Sister's Sister. Those are all essentially like these comedies that are essentially all fueled by uh, improvisation and the whole mumble core originates from the fact that their sound would be so quiet to hear. It seems like they're mumbling. Uh, okay. Yeah, it all kind right. of makes sense. And like the... With Mark Duplass, once I realized that he was the producer of it and stuff, I or was he even the creator or was he just the producer? He wrote it, produced it, and obviously starred in it. Uh, okay. And it was directed by Patrick Bryce, um, who was the co-writer. Yeah. So And then so, he was the guy that played the videographer, um, Aaron. Oh, okay. That makes sense. So yeah, you have but- like the two main creative forces, not only, you know, um, writing and, 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 you know, producing and directing, but then you have them in it as well. And I mean, essentially other than like a couple people on the phone, they're like the only characters in the whole movie yeah. pretty much. Yeah, right. Yeah. So once I found out it was Mark Duplass about the only thing I expected from it was something improv based, you know, cause I know he does do a lot of non-scripted or at least not heavily scripted. Um, it would have to be improv based. Cause some of this stuff is like, I don't see how you could like knowingly like write, write some of this stuff in. Right. It, I did have a preconceived notion of it, but it was um, more because of I've, I've watched The League. So yes. I knew, um, I don't know the actor's name, but when you told me like, okay, it's this guy, you've seen him in The League. And I was like, oh, okay. So that so is going to be funny. Yeah. He's, yeah, I expected uh, not that. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and I would say that if if any of it is like, humorous it's very dark humor and it's more in how like yes i was gonna say it's more in how just bizarre 
it is. And I, and I think it, you're kind of at first laughing at some of his stuff because it's like, oh, dude, this guy Awkward. is such a, like a weirdo. But really, you know, by the end of it, I, I was not laughing. No. <laughs> like, I was really, really, really unsettled, um, which I think was a really a good way to, yeah. to uh, introduce it. So I had, I came into this not knowing a whole lot about it, but I did know that there was... I didn't know it was going to be like all of POV and like done kind of found footage style, but I did know that there was like an element that this guy was a videographer and he gets with this client um, because I actually, I, I'm surprised it took me this long to, to watch this, but I was uh, recommended this movie when I was making um, commercials when I was in that industry uh, because weirdly a client's just like, yeah, have you ever seen that movie? And he's like, He's like, have you ever, ever worried about that happening to you? And I didn't get the context. <laughs> no, but now that I see it, I'm like, yes, I am worried about that. Because like every now and again, like I, I, I will be open to like some freelance work. And I'm like, I don't know if I want to do that anymore. <laughs> Meet That's one of those comments. Well public place, well trafficked public place. <laughs> well, apparently not. Right. We've all seen the movie. <laughs> yeah. anyway so i that's one of those comments that like you you get it and then you're like well i wasn't worried about it before but i am now thanks I am now. let's just yes, a new exactly. let's just add a new nightmare to the list just crack it onto the bottom it'll be fine so uh, i want to quickly talk about uh I'm, I'm thinking rachel specifically but there might have been a couple more folks uh, that are in this meeting right now that this they were this was kind of a concern. I know Brandon was, but he's not here today. Um, but when it was very clear that it was POV, uh, Rachel specifically, you were you were pretty concerned because yeah. that kind of handheld um, sort of film footage makes you motion sick. Mm -hmm. But by the end of it, it you seem to it, it seemed to work. What yes. about this? Do you think? still could be in that sort of POV, like handheld found footage style, but not be so crazy and shaky that it was, you know, sickening for you. Well, I think the, the issue at first is this, they, they kept going up and down those damn stairs and uh, that right. kind of shaky jouncy, you know, that was a lot in the first 20 minutes or so. Um, so I was like, well, if this is the entire film, I'm, I'm entirely screwed. I'll just watch between my fingers and like kind of stare off into the treetops and, oh, isn't it a lovely evening? But uh, that wasn't the issue because while it was all found footage, it was still, um, there were sections where they set the camera down or there were sections where they were still um, like the bathroom sequence in the beginning or when they're just standing there talking or it's not all walking through hallways and um, driving or going up and down stairs. As I mentioned, that was really like the worst part. <laughs> There were yeah. so, so many stairs I think in the house the, and outside. I think the one thing that kind of helped, kind of like what you're pointing out, is like some of you are like found footage, shaky cams. Like, I don't know, I'm thinking like Cloverfield being the most like infamous example. Well, they're uh, always like, running yeah. in Cloverfield, always, right? I've never seen it because it so would much. make me throw up. Yeah, there's literally, they've established so much, but kind of what you're saying, like when they would set the camera down, Everything kind of took place in, for the most part, like one location, meaning like the cabin in the woods. Yeah. And so I think that helped. And especially because the focus was the dialogue that kind of helped the fact that kind of made it, uh, 
essentially said, okay, we have to keep it static because really in the end, the focus is the conversations between these two individuals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and they had a so, lot of scenes too, where they were like sitting and talking to each other too. So they just kind of like set the camera down and you could kind of see just a, the perspective of both of them. Yeah. They so weren't Jimmy, looking I, for any monsters in the woods or anything. Cause you know, they, right. the monsters they were, were the monsters. All, yeah. Ooh, they were the monsters, but no, seriously, they were the monsters. So, Jimmy, I wanted to ask you something specifically because you and I just recently both watched The Blair Witch Project for another podcast that uh, we're doing with our friend Craig. Um, and so I, I when I watched Blair Witch, I found myself comparing it a lot to this movie. Not I mean, They're very different movies, but the found footage, handheld, POV style it's very, very similar. But I think this movie, just because there is more stationary st- static still shots, I found it to be a lot more palpable. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so, because re- there was kind of less for us to kind of really be focused on. Like in Blair Witch, you got to like figure out, okay, what's going on in this woods? What are all these random things we're seeing in these woods? Like there's kind of this more like a stimulus that they had to track. But like, like we said about palpability, Literally, for the most part, like we're looking at literally just the character that Mark Duplass is playing. I'm forgetting his name off the top of my head. Joseph. Uh, Joseph. Uh, Literally, he is the focus. And I think the fact that like one, I don't want to say that actors in Blair Witch are not good. They are good actors. But I think the fact that they're they're literally, I think that what I like about Joseph is the fact that like he's kind of, he kind of holds your interest for a long time. Uh, in terms of you don't really know what he's going to do next. And so I think that kind of, uh, that definitely makes you want to see what's next to come. And in terms of palpability, I think the fact that there is kind of this awkward, tonely comedy to it, like cringe, cringe comedy. Uh, I don't know why. I think the fact that it is, it's semi-comedic uh, helped it as well. Uh, it kept reminding me of like a weird twist in like a documentary now episode. Uh, like particularly if you've all seen one of the first ones where it makes fun of the, um, the, um, um, uh, the, the two old ladies who live in the mansion in the first episode. Oh, Grey Gardens. Yeah. yeah Grey Gardens. Like literally that yeah. is like basically getting inspiration from stuff like Creep and Blair Witch. <laughs> and so I'm kind of like, oh, I get the reference now. Right, uh, right. Yeah. But no, I think this is a lot more of a palpable, like steady cam sh- or shaky cam film I think in found footage film, I think just because it's not the main genre, it's almost like the, it isn't kind of the, well, it is kind of the umbrella. Uh, I don't know. Uh, forgive me if I'm mumbling a lot. I'm still kind of getting, I haven't really had to discuss much of found footage movies because I would say I've rarely, I've never actually seen Blair Witch until the other day right. and brand new. So I think I'm just now getting my toes dipped. That's fine. Has anyone else seen Blair Witch? I, I, like I said, different movies, but it's just a recent thing. Okay, so the the person that gets motion sick really, really bad over movies has seen it. Okay, so, <laughs> I really um, don't know why. I okay, so, don't remember the context of why I watched it. I just remember so, thinking, yeah, that, that's that's a wood tree. So uh, with a compare with you know with the comparison, um, do you still stand by kind of what you originally? said about how this was a lot more of an easy watch for you. And is that the big difference in the two for you? Oh yeah. Yeah. There was, well, I won't say there's no running and creep because there is 
some running, and that was actually Certainly. Logan's favorite part. Both um, but, running. <laughs> yes, there is some running in Creep, but it's not um, Blair Witch in my memory, and this was many, many years ago. Um, it, it just, I remember it being all running, and then the little dolls in the trees, and the, the close-up on the person's face, and it was always dark, and right. it just, it really made me sick. Um, but, but yeah, the Logan's favorite part actually, and he wanted me to mention this cause he wasn't able to be here tonight. He's, uh, Lincolning right now. Um, but he really, really liked it when, uh, Mark Duplass's character would just take off running and those swishy pants, like he was, a, he was a, a, a creepy, obviously character and very, um, troubling and disturbing potentially. And you just didn't know what he was going to do next. And then he's wearing the swishiest pants to just <laughs> run off into the woods. It's like, you can't be afraid of him because you can hear him coming. <laughs> you can hear him leaving, too. You can hear what direction he's going because he just off. Yeah. yeah. So so let's actually transition into that. So the, the, the characterization, I think, is really well <laughs> defined in this. And even though, like we were talking about, there is obviously a very improvisational nature to the movie, I think that to go back to the Blair Witch comparison, the big difference for me in terms of like dialogue and story is I think this was more defined. So even though the scenes clearly were improved, I think that they had a way more of a framework. And so those like long diatribes that he would have, like these full monologues about, you know, this bullshit about his, his wife you know, or, you know, his wife, his kid, you know, how his sickness and everything, it, it all felt cohesive and it didn't, it felt very natural. Um, so with that, let, let's kind of discuss the first, the characterization of, of Joseph, you know, because he, a lot of it is an act, you know, cause like he, he almost, I think is puts on more creepiness than he actually even really like feels or is just to kind of almost, I think like have people put their guard down, you know, where it's like, Oh, this guy's just weird. He's harmless. Um, what did everybody think of the characterization of, of Joseph and from like kind of beginning to end? I think the funny thing is the fact that uh, kind of in the sense of like the contrast between the two individuals, like, Obviously, like the videographer, such a bigger dude. He's a lot taller, and I can't. I think someone said this, where like literally, Mark Duplass's Joseph is literally sizing his victim up in the most part because he's a lot more of a shorter, kind of not really a strong dude. And so there's this kind of sense of like he has almost more to do now in the sense of like testing the waters. Uh, I kept, I almost kept, I kept laughing a lot when you reminded me of the swishing pants because literally that's the, for me, I'm like, this is like the creeps equivalent of the, of like that random three note score in like Friday 13th or (laughs) yeah, it's literally that kind of comparison. And so I think what really helped the director and uh, writers in this case is uh, I was looking this up and even though it is all improvised, they had a lot of branching out of possible narratives and so they almost had like this almost a trial and error approach. They would almost test out every possible sequence on an audience. And then whatever w- responded positive to, they would then kind of branch off and stem off from there. And so, and, and I think that helps so much in the characterization of Joseph. Uh, 
in terms of like, I would say I, I mean, he's, I felt he was very genuine earlier on. I, I did not really expect him to kind of like, uh, it's, he kind of seems just like, kind of this sad, weird dude that has some social issues. And so, and as things kind of unfolded, then you're kind of realizing, oh no, he's kind of playing on us, the audience. Uh, that worked really well in his favor. One thing okay, that yeah, Logan, another... oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Oh, uh, one thing that Logan and I talked about, because we have a kid and we don't, he's not like a little baby anymore. Um, but we still now forever, we'll call it taking a tubby when he needs a bath. Because <laughs> it's just never not going to be funny anymore. <laughs> um, so, but I had an actual point. I've, I'm sorry. Um, so uh, there was a point in that scene where he's taking a tubby and making Aaron watch, poor man, and uh, cataloging and all. And he's got candles lit on the side of the bathtub. <laughs> and um, I was talking to Logan and he's, he mentioned like something like that's so weird because why would you ever have open flame around a baby? They flail. And they like, they knock stuff over. Like, like, I don't, I just now Lincoln is three. I just now started putting candles back in the house and I still hide matches and like all kinds of stuff. Kids are weird. Um, but having that kind of not a logical thought of having candles in a bathtub that's supposed to be near a baby. It's like, maybe he just doesn't know how you're supposed to react with like infants or humans. And then I was like, well, maybe he's faking the whole thing because he has, has no idea how Ooh. it's actually supposed to be human wise. You know how you hear about um, sociopaths having to fake a certain amount of emotion because they just don't quite get it. So they just no, kind of fake it until you make it. I, so, I didn't even notice that. So good, good catch. It was mostly just because it was so weird to like be petting a little, I mean, granted fake baby <laughs> head in the bathtub. <laughs> The yeah, pantomime the, was wild. It was real. Oh, it was real good. Wow. It was like, real good. He's just like, <laughs> oh, dude. He's holding up oh, that yeah. little, little thing, dunking baby. It. Yeah, dunk that baby. His boss was like dunking it in there. <laughs> just like. Yeah. But that, that's the stuff. And I, I just think about that kind of thing. So like, well, I, that baby would set itself on fire if you did that. That's not good at all. That's a great but, point. Yeah. yeah. Anybody else have some thoughts and anecdotes on, on the Joseph character? Um, I do think that they did do a really good job of like making him a sympathetic character and one that you could kind of like and get that kind of feeling of like, well, maybe he's just like a little off, but over like, you know, overall, he's like probably a fine person because I definitely spent the first like quarter, maybe entire half of that movie thinking that Aaron would be the one that turned out to be the like murder creep person and only by accident, just because he thinks that Joseph is being a weirdo. And so mm. then he turns around and does something um, in the end, but just because Murphy, like, I think you just wrote uh, like in an alternate, uh, you know, universe, you just wrote a really good movie. That, you know, the, <laughs> I was yeah. like, I was like, Joseph just seems like such a genuine person, you know, <laughs> like, and even if he is kind of like, um, like, you know, once, even once Aaron's like, talking to his sister on the phone and she was like oh no he's not right in the head you need to leave like still a part of me was like well but what if he's like fine and just like people react weird to him because he's kind of a weirdo <laughs> like so, so no, what i think, I think did a good job of kind of like tilting it on it like you know kind of just giving you enough of his weirdness that it wasn't like like oh god this guy's a murderer but it was like well, there's something off <laughs> You know, it's, it plays almost like something like something about Bob, the Bill Murray comedy. 
I was expecting it to go in that direction where the character is so annoyingly obnoxious to where he drives the other man insane. Right. Uh, yeah. If you've seen that movie, something about Bob, it's it, literally that. That's that, that was the first thing that came to mind when I was watching the movie. Right. So yeah, I think that's kind of what. So Murphy was getting to some points that I think that I was getting at where they do a really good job at like just kind of bringing us the viewer and the Aaron character in and, and having your guard down a- enough that you're like, I mean, this guy's, this is kind of weird and sketchy, but he certainly isn't going to like kill me. Right. And I, I think that where that comes from is he almost is like very eccentric and manic in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And by the end, it's obvious that that is like, that that's a bit of a facade and he is a full blown sociopath that definitely has his faculty faculties together far more than he portrays in the first half. I think that, um, both Jimmy and Rachel brought up good points of let, like he doesn't quite know how to human. So it's like, okay, so I'm going to kind of just be kind of funny, weird, eccentric guy. Cause he doesn't really know how to like hit a more normal, you know, median of that. Mm-hmm. But it's still, it's like, you know, it definitely brings the guard down of the audience and, and of the Aaron character. And I think that's a really, like, really, really well done, you know, way of having that character be portrayed. Cynthia, you look part, like you're saying something. Yeah, I think part of the reason why, like, even if he doesn't fully know how to human, I think he he picked those, like, eccentricities because, like, you can't really find your footing really when someone acts like that because you you're not entirely sure how to respond so you're always kind of just like open and you can't like get a feel for really who the uh, like how you're supposed to react to it and like the whole thing about the tubby time with the candles and going ah uh i'm thinking like uh how he's trying to go okay this is a moment or whatever like what if he's thinking it's an intimate moment. And usually when you see intimate moments, granted not with a child, but like with anyone, it's usually candles are set up and he's all like, ah, same difference. Even though people big difference. (laughs) Sure. And I I think it's more just like a patchwork of, I think this is how this goes. And like it, like this is how I've seen people interact. So I think that this is right. (laughs) Yeah. Right. It's just, And I think, like, a lot of his stuff is just, like, just weird and off-kilter enough where it's just, like, you don't think too hard on it. And then so you're just like, okay, and you accept it when really you should be going, but why? There's something really wrong here. Except how he plays it off, though, makes you go, maybe he's just just a little out there instead of murdery. Well, yeah. keep in mind. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Chrissy. Well, at the end, I was just questioning myself and like how to test my gut with how to find creepy people. I was like, should what? I should I trust anybody? Yeah. Clearly, I would have ended up murdered in this situation because I was oh, like, yeah, oh, me too. Fine. <laughs> Back in the head. He's just a little eccentric. So the, the other thing that I think was really a, a, a small detail that I think helped kind of make him less threatening originally 
and kind of maybe explain some of his eccentricities is keep in mind, he says he has a brain tumor. Mm -hmm. If you know anything Mm -hmm. about, you know, what can happen to cognitive, you know, abilities with a brain tumor, he very well could have very like strange, you know, inappropriate sort of behavior. And it's, it's just like, just far enough, like kind of riding the line that it's, it's not like, okay, this guy's no, 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 no. Even though he's just shows Dick root within like 10 minutes of meeting the guy, <laughs> it's still, it's like, he goes, well, oh, it's just cause my kid, you know, we have tubby time. He has a very like innocent way of explaining all of his weird ass shit that he's into, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, and it's okay. like the I'll guy's, yeah, the guy's, he's terminally ill. It's, it, it's hard not to like, uh, you know, I think somebody said like, he's a sympathetic co- sort of character originally. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's hard not to feel sympathy for him. Let's move into the Aaron character because Aaron, I think is, and why I really enjoyed having pretty much the whole entire film be from his POV is he is the person that is watching a horror film, but he is living the horror film. <laughs> he kind of has this running dialogue of like, well, that's fucking weird. <laughs> so I felt like myself talking to, um, talking to the TV Let's let's talk about Aaron. I definitely with you there. There is this sense of our internalized thoughts are basically kind of what he's thinking. Like when you said, "Oh, that's freaking weird. Why is he doing that?" Like, why? Like, uh, uh, I'm sure it's fine. Uh, and there is that sense of relatability, which I think helps the audience connect to him. In the fact that, like, I mean, for the most part, a lot of people who are probably watching this are have a connection to the film industry or the creative industry where we've all kind of had very weird scenarios with clients. Uh, I can't say I've had a situation where I've been on Craigslist and saw something sketchy like, meet me at this place at this time, $500, promise. (laughs) Nothing vaguely creepy like that. Um, But I have had a lot of weird things where, uh, kind of a side tangent anecdote, I remember working on this one project where the guy wanted a poster for his movie, and he didn't all tell me until I started pinpointing it as things are unfolding that, because uh, he kept saying, oh, I want you to use this type of imagery. And I'm like, that seems weird. Okay, because at first that was a horror film. Then I found out it was for a porno film. Uh, so basically I was designing a poster for a movie and the guy wouldn't tell me what it was. And I'm like- Amazing. Yeah. And then when I'm like noticing, why does this guy need photos of like of, of like a rope tied arms for this horror film? Okay, he wants it, he wants it like gr- gringier? Okay. Okay. And I'm like thinking this is just some weird horror film. And then I found out like, and he didn't, and I literally felt so uncomfortable. Uh, the guy never paid me. And so I kind of told him, well, you're not taking this poster then. Like I did not pay him attached to this. Yeah. So that's yeah. the closest like sketchy client scenario that I've been in. So I definitely felt like that a kinship to uh, the, the Aaron character in the sense that we've all been there. Dude, you could have easily ended up being, Aaron. Bruce Willis and Ving Rams in that basement in Pulp Fiction with like a ball yeah. gag in your mouth. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, you got lucky. <laughs> oh yeah, no. But the guy never wanted to meet up. He just wanted me to send the PDF of the poster design. And I'm like, nah, dude, pay me first. Like, I'm not gonna send this to you without you paying me. Like, and he wouldn't. <laughs> it, wow. There's a longer story. <laughs> uh, that's a great story. I, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the share. Yeah. yeah. The uh, the Aaron character was super interesting because I feel like he was he had the like the monologue that should have been my internal monologue when I first started watching the movie, but I was too focused on the fact that uh, Joseph seemed like an all right dude. 
Um, but he like had that like internal monologue of being like, okay, something super strange is happening here, but not doing anything to like actually combat the strange, you know, like there were, like you, we talked about earlier, the size difference and stuff like, between the two um, characters and things like there were so many different ways he could have gone about escaping that house and like, in just like not really having like not have to be not not have to let it be a problem but he just kind of kept going along with things i think part of it is that he's just a little too trusting because he honestly just thinks the dude has a brain tumor and he functions a little weirdly and like yeah things are weird and he could have left the house without his keys Especially when you get a yes. call from the sister that goes, yes. yeah, no. just, just leave. Forget so yeah, we, we were has, all like yelling at, at the- has two legs. Yes. We were all yelling at the, at the screen and be like, dude, like just, 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 just run at that point. You didn't get yeah. any red flags, many red flags. Yeah. Leave cool. the car. We should make, we could make red flags and then wave them. When we see them in the next horror movies, throw <laughs> oh, them at the screen. Flip them, yeah. Just whip, 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 little little red flags. But no, the the part where he like comes out of the bathroom and that sliding glass door is open. I was thinking, okay, cool. Brief stop to just close and lock that sliding glass door, and then leave the house. Yeah, yeah. Easy. No need to investigate. There's nobody you have to protect other than yourself. Just get out, man. So yeah, there's so there was some silly like horror movie logic of yes, he he perhaps should have left much sooner. But the one thing that I enjoyed is by the time that you know he does actually get separated from Joseph, shit, even if he left early, clearly that didn't make any difference because Joseph begins stalking him and he knows his home address. So it doesn't much matter. He could have left much earlier in the evening and Joseph he has some resources, clearly. He, he could track you down. Yeah, so so I think that, you know, Joseph coming back later in the film and sending him shit and, and, you know, tracking him down, as much as some of Aaron's choices were really, you know, arguably stupid, I, I, I think that they kind of are, I don't want to say justified, but I think explained away by the fact that I think <laughs> Joseph... He had picked his prey and he was relentless and would have killed this guy no matter what. Oh, yeah. yeah well, very like, true. I, I can also see like when you're not thinking straight because you're like, oh, fuck, this guy is weird. I need to get away. I need to get away fast. Your fastest escape would be in a car. And like, so you're thinking that also has like my house keys and everything. So you're like, I need to find this. And sometimes. Well, and of course, yeah, you don't want to leave your car you somewhere. Yeah. it. Yeah, and so I can, like, sort of explain why he did take some time and, like, was trying to find them. But at one point, you do have to be a fuck it and leave. Like, yeah, he would have someone else, like, literally his sister going, yeah, you need yeah, that, bro. <laughs> you should definitely leave that situation. But then he might have thought through and just not said it out loud that if he leaves his car keys, which have his house key, presumably on the same key ring, mm -hmm. then Joseph has access to his car, which would have the insurance information in the glove box and usually has your personal information on it as well. So then you'd be giving him his address, which you might not know he already has. And, and entry into so, it. That's a very valid point. Yes. And maybe he just didn't say all that out loud because he doesn't talk to himself like I do, which is fine. <laughs> but still. Yeah. Yeah. No, that is a good point. 
I think the one thing that is also kind of explains some of his poor decisions is I think that he almost has like a perverse curiosity as a filmmaker with Joseph because by the end, their last meetup, he has all the reason in the world to not agree to meet Joseph. You know, mm-hmm. like he he's completely justified and, you know, just packing up his stuff and, and moving to a different area and trying to like, dialogue. yeah. But I think that there's, there's more just, curiosity. Yeah. I like, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm off base with that, but I guess that was my interpretation of, of that decision because it, it's not a good decision. <laughs> so yeah. I, I, in my mind, I had to like, I had to, to make some justifications f- for that, why he did that. I think you're right on the money, I think, because if he's supposed to be kind of a stand in for us, the audience, his perverse curiosity in a way reflects our perverse curiosity. We want to see what happens next. And also the fact that he's not us, we're fine with whatever happens to him because it's not us. <laughs> so we're like, yeah, well, go right. do it. Go do it. We're curious. Yeah, yeah that, uh, that morbid curiosity could just kind of play into the fact that he went there in the first place, you know? I mean, it takes a a very uh, strange person to um, go ahead and just be like, yeah, I'm going to like show up at this random place and this random address at this random time and not tell anybody I'm going here. Um, So like, yeah, and and they plays into uh, where he ends up in the, in the long run too. Well, they set that up with exposition, like with just him kind of like, doing his own, you know, like he's thinking out loud, his, his inner monologue is, you know, becoming his outer monologue when he's driving up and he's kind of like basically mm-hmm. giving exposition as to like what he's doing. But then he's also explaining that he has a, a very limited knowledge as to what this client has in mind. And so, you know, we're, it's already kind of set up that he's going into something, you know, w- without much knowledge, but, as Jimmy just basically like grounded it into reality, that can happen as, as you know, as a creative type that you have sometimes <laughs> these clients that are very, very vague and it's not until they feel like they've kind of got you on the hook. And, and I can speak to this as well, you know, having uh, made commercials with people, sometimes, you know, somebody wants to, to know that you're actually like at least willing to go far enough to have a production meeting with them or a creative meeting to then unleash their crazy fucking ideas. And so I I feel like maybe that, you know, and maybe this is me projecting all over this character, but that's kind of how I, you know, kind of made sense of it in in my head. I think another part of it is like, we talked earlier about like the size difference, how Joseph has to like size up Aaron. Well, Aaron does have the size advantage and maybe that's part of the reason why he feels like granted some weird shit has gone down, but maybe he feels like a little bit safer because he feels like he could (laughs) overpower him. Look at that little guy. And so I think maybe he felt sure of himself that way enough to like, if he came to attack him or something like they saw him, he would be okay because he's like, hey, I could probably take this dude. 
Sorry, I, I had an image flash in my mind of uh, Joseph wearing the fucking wolf mask and grinding <laughs> his ass up against the front door. <laughs> Just so for actually, you know, I talked about him being able to overpower him. That was the first scene that came into my mind. <laughs> So that's a good segue. Let's talk about Peach Fuzz for a bit. Because Peach Fuzz is... Uh, yes, I saw that, yeah. Which I, I, I'm glad that they made that change because Creep is a little, a bit of a vague title, but I, I think that it was good in the sense that it didn't, I don't know, it didn't build a whole lot of expectations because it's like, okay, Creep, that's so like ambiguous. Whereas like Peach Fuzz, it's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> but the Peach Fuzz character is Joseph's alter ego, I guess, is is the best way I would describe sure. it. And it's this like werewolf mask. And first he like describes it as like, it's this kind of game thing that he plays with his kid. And clearly that's not the case at all. Um, and well, we got a great song and dance out of it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then uh, ass grinding on the on the the door. What are, what's everybody's thoughts on that? Because if you if you go if you look at, back on that out of the you know context of watching it in the moment, I I think about that. I'm like, that is so weird and like not completely necessary to the movie, but it just added that like that just whole unsettling ambiance that yeah, they they put forth factor. I think like in that situation, if I were in that situation, it'd be that meme where it's like sitting there and it's like, this is fine. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh. <laughs> no, the one I the one I kept seeing was the Wiggum's kid. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like when the parents sitting on the bathtub getting that phone call, he's like, Oh, oh yeah. yeah. There's definitely a sense yeah. of like that uh Joseph almost feels more free with the mask on. Like he can be in a sense, he doesn't have to put on the human elements that he struggles with and just be essentially he can go wolf basically for lack of a better word and honestly when i saw him grind and then i found out this whole thing was improvised i'm like thinking if this whole thing was improvised did anyone know he was gonna do that and if so (laughs) i lost my shit on that set (laughs) like mark duplass just like cropped against the door he's just like grinding in that wolf mask i would not have been able to hold it together that might be why they cut it so quickly because remember he grinds and then it like cuts to black and you're like that might be why they cut it that way is because the whole crew was laughing too loud for them to use any more of that shot at all ever all valid points Mm -hmm. done i really like i really like your analysis of that peach fuzz is like a manifestation of like his inner predator his back and i think that you i think you might in terms of symbolism i think you might have completely nailed it on the head right and and i think you know i'll I'll admit i i might have missed that symbolism just because it's presented in such a weird and zany way at first when he's just like peach fuzz peach fuzz and he's just like doing this (laughs) weird like improvisational (laughs) dance and it doesn't really get nefarious until later. And at that point, you know, it, like as a viewer, I was already so unsettled that I, I wasn't really thinking about symbolism. Yeah. I was just like, oh, God, he got the mask back on. Oh, he's grinding his ass on a door. Ah, like, It was just all really gross and weird to me at that point. There's a great line from Dark Knight Rises. I didn't become anyone until I put on the mask. So I feel like that, that, that works well, I think, in this scenario. Like literally. Great, right? Re- 
Great reference. Yeah, like literally, I think in the psychology of super villains, like he basically feels like I can, I'm free. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, if anyone's seen Watchmen, it kind of plays with that whole theme of who we are when we're on the mask versus without the mask. And yeah. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. I can't remember. Um, does he have the mask on it in the final when he finally kills Aaron? He does. He does. Yeah. Okay, so then I think I think you are right in that, Jimmy. That like that's that's him. That's him crossing over from being a human in- into a-, a monster. Yeah, expressing his true form. Yeah. So, so oh, go ahead. Are we going to talk about all the jump scares? Like he literally, the first time he jump scares them, he's all like, "Oh, I'm so sorry," and it's it could have been a complete accident, and then he just keeps fucking doing it. And then jump scares himself at the end. So, okay, so I, I have a, I have a theory on this. Uh, first, I would like to just lead off with, uh, I will go ahead and admit that I was ex- extremely susceptible yeah. to yeah, jump scares <laughs> in this movie. And I want to explain why. And I, I, I said this while we were watching it. I think that the POV nature of this film made me feel more like I was a part of the movie, Be, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that also Aaron's just kind of like, like I said, his dialogue, that's very much, very much like he's living out what the viewer is taking in quite literally. It, it, it breaks that fourth wall, you know, between the what's going on on screen and the viewer. And so I felt very much a part of it. And I, I don't know. I got so invested that it kind of, you know, I, I suspended my disbelief and I think I was so susceptible to it that like it, I, I anything was going to scare me in that. And uh, yeah, it scared the fuck out of me. And I want to, so yes, you, you're very right where you said that it started off with kind of, and that's still just like, you know, having his guard down, his jump scares are, they're fun. It's not like, it's not nefarious or, or insidious. It's just like, oh, I got you. Ha, you know. Yeah, they yeah. seem like lighthearted and, jokes. <laughs> yeah, it's like something you see on like, Vine, yeah. basically. Uh, it, there's this whole, like, it's like. It's oh, cranky. Yeah, it's cranky. And I think that's where, it, that's where it's almost, for me, feels kind of like, not bluntly, but at least some subtext of satire, where it's kind of playing up the overusage of the jump scares and how in the end, mm-hmm. though, you're kind of just pissed off and annoyed. And they're like, God damn it, why do you keep doing this? Well, yeah. So by the end, oh gosh, when uh, they have that, when he has that scene where basically then he goes out of his own house because he he feels because uh, yeah, like Joseph goes to his place and he runs out of the house. You knew it was coming. You knew it was coming, and then they fucking cut, and it's like, I, so I, I yeah, I think that they they mess with everybody's expectations where they they all kind of like overdo it but it was in a way that it didn't it didn't feel cheap where i think a, a horror film that is that wasn't done in a pov fashion the jump scare you have to be careful with how often you do it and how you do it because you can rely too much on that and it's like well okay so outside of a few you know jump scares that were just like ooh insert loud scary noise there wasn't really any ambience or anything that made this unsettling where this movie was as it progresses, 
you just have that like visceral, just like, oh my God, oh my God, just like tension because it's just getting more and more upsetting. And that was, as that goes on, I noticed that the jump scares start to lessen. They're, you know, they're mm-hmm. not like, oh, every 10 minutes or whatever, which was yeah, something I noticed. The the jump scares thing does seem very purposeful. Um, so like like with, with what Jimmy pointed out, like I, it they there seemed to be a reason behind it and not just scare, like jump scare for the sake of getting a scare. Right. I'd do it. I'd jump scare all of you. I know. I know. You do. It's fine. But I think it also added that we were like watching this on the side of a murder barn. <laughs> all the deer yeah. crunching behind us. <laughs> Yeah, so for I'm the sorry. for the listeners, I've never we, felt so exposed in my life. <laughs> <laughs> so for the listeners, um, to keep this, you know, nice and safe and you know socially distant, we had, I think it was like ten of us or whatever. So we did we watched this outside. I, I have like a, a setup for like outdoor movies. Um, so, but that kind of added to the uh, the vibe. Great, it helped for sure. Yeah. Y'all have an ambiance that's hard to fake. (laughs) (laughs) Watching it on the side of an outbuilding and then having two other outbuildings that could be filled with God knows what. Mark Duplass just jumps out at me when I'm going to the bathroom. But no, it's not Mark Duplass. It's your cat. (laughs) It's fine. (laughs) So um, I want to wrap this up and transition to the thing Um, before doing so. I want to quickly ask everybody. Would you recommend this film to somebody else? Having oh, hell yeah. Yes, yes. Yes. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, yeah I thoroughly okay. enjoyed it. Yeah. And I think the fact that most didn't know what to expect going in helps it wholeheartedly. So we should all try to keep conversation to a minimum and just let our friends find out. Watch this. Just watch Creep. Don't ask questions. Just watch Creep. <laughs> I, I agree. I think it, there was mo- it was more impactful not knowing what I was getting into. Which and it was a lot of fun in that regard. Um, lastly, I always like to do this when I, you know, talk about you know reviewing specific movies on this podcast. I, I love to talk about the IMDb rating because to me it's very, it's very interesting and often not always. Uh, we found that the with uh, Cynthia Kirstie and Amanda with uh, <laughs> with talking about Freddy versus Jason and. Uh, and House of a Thousand Corpses. I don't think those were accurate, but usually it is an accurate, you know, um, litmus for for a film because it's fan based. So first off, I, I just want to just give everybody the Rotten Tomatoes rating on this, which is a pretty high rating of eighty nine percent. So critically, yeah. this, this this got a lot of good feedback. Um, before I tell you what the IMDb rating is, which is out of 10, I just want to go around the Zoom squares and I want everybody to give me their own personal rating out of out of 10 on this. What, what would you give us? And anybody can start. Oh, gosh. Thank you. I'd probably go with an eight. I was thinking nine. Like, I was thinking like, nine too, like, but I don't. It's not uh, like, also, it's not like one of the best movies I've ever seen, exactly. but it's really good. <laughs> yeah. Eight, eight, nine, somewhere in there. Not a, not a 10. I think the only 10 I've given was to Hereditary. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Eight or- honestly, it's a, it's a good one. I, I think an 8.5. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I was thinking 8.5. You butthole. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so my reasoning for the 8.5 is because it subverted my expectations. 
I uh, did not expect to like it as much. They made use of the steady cam without it being oppressive or uh, making me vomit, which is always what I look for in a good movie is not vomiting. Um, Naturally. It, uh, it, um, let's see. It was self-aware enough to be like classy and also uh able to poke fun at itself like with the jump scares they knew how to use them effectively and um i really liked that my first thought when you were giving us the option of creep versus hush was like oh, i don't want to watch something called creep it's going to be weird and about sexual violence and like i'm not into that like no no thank you let's just push that over to the edge of the table but this was absolutely not what i thought it was going to be and i greatly enjoyed it because of that Definitely. Yeah, I would agree. Um, the eight or eight to eight point five rating for it because I'm with Rachel that like I initially when you were giving us the options between hush and creep, I was like, I don't want to watch creep. Like what? No. <laughs> um, and so, and even even though I didn't really know too much about it, um, uh, but like I did, I did have uh, know that it was going to be like a, a hand cam uh, point of view um, uh, filming, and that is always a little off putting to me uh, initially and I don't even get motion sickness um but uh yeah Rachel's right like they did a they did a really good job of of not making the hand cam like so distracting um and then uh yeah it completely surprised me with how much I thoroughly enjoyed it and at the end of it was just like it was a damn good movie I was in the fence for a bit on thinking, am I going to put this a 7 out of 10 or 8 out of 10? And at first, I was presumptuously putting 7 because I figured, will this work for a lot of people? And I think yeah. the fact that it kind of confirmed my thoughts. I'd like, oh, because of course, I tried to take into account other audiences. The fact that it sounds like a lot of you were very skeptical and reluctant to go into it. And then were proven wrong, proven wrong wholeheartedly and right. wasn't surprised. And so I think because of that factor alone, I'm going to think of it at 8 out of 10. Uh, in terms okay. of rewatchability, I'm curious to see if the certain jump scares and the jokes will land a second time. That's I might give myself more time, so but I I would say tentatively I'm going to eight. Yeah, so, that, that is a good point with the rewatchability. There might be some aspects to it that are lost um, in addition pre- uh, additional viewings. Yeah. Or I'm so, wondering if like you'll pick up on more subtle things if yeah. they have them with the second one. Good picture. Yeah. Yeah, like with the candy. So, I didn't think about that at all. There are some subtle nuances potentially. Right. I so, realized in talking about it, I assumed that when you gave that description, that it was going to be a female videographer and a male well, subject. And then when it wasn't, that, like, I I'm, didn't realize I'm I had that. I'm glad it wasn't because I feel like that would have been too heavy-handed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can't. It can't. It can't be as funny when you have the that kind of subtext. Right. Right. Yeah. So. I gave this seven out of 10 and it's just largely because of that last thing you guys talked about. I think this is great, but in my mind, it's a, it's a one-off uh, for me. Yeah. I will watch the second one, but in terms of, you know, is this something I would watch every October? Absolutely not. <laughs> it was, a, it was really fun movie. Really great. Um, but the other thing, you know, I, I guess I, I'm a little biased because I am really into the IMDb um, ratings and I, I, I rate everything I watch and catalog it and everything. And now I've kind of figured out like the, the curve, if you will. And it's interesting. Not a whole lot gets 
in terms of an average score. Not a whole lot will get over a nine. Um, and I mean, maybe that's for good reason because 10 out of 10 is a perfect film and that yeah, nothing's perfect. That's arguably barely exists, you know, or, or maybe it doesn't even exist at all. But so I'm going to now tell you what the actual average rating on this is. And I'm guessing that people are going to be surprised. 6.3 out of 10 stars. That feels criminally, that feels a little low to me. Yeah. But was that more than House of a Thousand Corpses? That was yeah. like five. Barely. Five, five, House of a Thousand Corpses, 6.1. Yeah. I'm, <gasps> I'm wondering which, those should not be in the same conversation, which is, so I think people probably didn't get this. Yeah, yeah. how many ratings do they have? Do they tell it, you like how many people have rated it? Yeah, and so like do with part Amazon of it, reviews. <laughs> yeah, no. And the, the, so this has um, nearly forty thousand uh, votes. Okay, that seems fair. which is a bit lower than uh, the other two films that Murphy, Cynthia, and Kirsty I and I talked about um, prior to doing this this episode. Um, but that's still a decent amount. And so I found this actually this, this fun thing that I hadn't actually uh, figured out where you can actually break down the averages of each score. And this actually has uh, most people give this a seven. Okay. Um, And, but there, there is a, a heavy bit kind of around six, five and eight, of course, then giving it, the uh, the mean of six point four um, or six point three, but it looks like there's at least out of those you know thirty nine thousand plus people that there was a good you know oh geez yeah about two thousand people that gave it one star and oh my about three thousand people that gave it four stars so I I feel like so clearly you know some of the votes were kind of dive bombed by that. So I, I feel like there's some people that maybe don't completely get this, I, I, you know, or kind of thought, oh, it's right in the middle for me. And I think what helped a lot in, I think our favorite least is I felt a heightened sense of enjoyment from watching it with a group of people because you're, kind of, oh, you're yeah. almost feeding off other people's reactions, which right. it, point. audience. and I almost think I would have not have liked it as much if I saw it by myself. Cause Fair. I think Netflix has this weird thing about the movies that they like, post where they kind of make you they don't do a whole lot of marketing they don't really show a lot of trailers they kind of just drop it and then you watch mm-hmm. it that really much context and that can be both good and bad driven reasons but i think in creep sense if i would just say oh it's gonna be background noise when i'm working i probably would have watched it in that sense uh if i if i chose to watch it versus watching with a group of people and i think if i'd done that it would have been a lot lower i probably would have given it a six out of ten versus a higher score because I wouldn't have yeah. had uh, audience uh, participation and engagement, nor a post-rebuttal uh, conversation like this to kind of sure. feel more rich. I yeah, can I think that. Go Sorry. Ahead, uh, I think one of the reasons why I did rate it so high is also because of the freaking enjoyment with everyone and the fact that, like, we're still talking about swishy pants and, like, tubby time, tubby time tubby and pizzas in general, like... Like, even if I don't rewatch it, that shit's going to stick. and <laughs> That's going to last a while, guys. It's, it's a sign of a good movie if something, like, sticks with you, even if it's something bizarre. <laughs> yeah. I what totally... stuck with us is we thought the same things were gross. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, I can totally see where Jenny's coming from with that, though, because, like, I mean, I've scrolled past that movie many a times on Netflix and even hovered over it a few times thinking, like, yeah, maybe. But um, outside of, like, actually having had that movie been presented to me at a movie night like what we did, I probably never would have gotten around to actually watching it. That's fair. So let's transition into, we spent a lot of time talking on creep. Uh, let's transition into the thing and, and maybe try to give that kind of a more refined, comprehensive overview coming into the thing. Uh, I can't remember who had seen this. Anybody? One of us. Okay. Um, I, I had seen it. It was a long time. So this was basically kind of like watching it anew again, which was quite fun. I didn't, I didn't remember a whole lot other than just the basic framework and kind of how it began and how it ended. I forgot about uh, Kurt Russell's hat. It's a glorious hat. So same thing I asked you for the, for the other film, for the folks that were coming into this completely fresh, any sort of preconceived notions, expectations of this movie? I knew the title was called the thing and that's what I was going off of. <laughs> okay. Fair. Yeah, I uh, had heard of it and I knew it was a fairly like classic a horror movie um but outside of that had no real idea of the premise or plot or where it took place or anything yeah okay yeah uh i had i think mentioned when we were playing D that we were going to watch the thing and that's why we had to schedule D for sunday and uh trevor was talked it up immensely and i'd never heard him like say that about a movie in a while but he really? was so stoked that we were going to watch the thing i don't remember that. um yeah, the last movie I heard him get excited about was Tucker and Dale versus Evil. <laughs> also a good one. Which is and likewise another good quite one. good. Another good one, but similar genre. But anyway, um, he was telling me how it was like really good and how I was like it was going to be a good time. And it really is informative of uh, like a whole genre of horror and um, how he just enjoyed Kurt Russell. And then I got excited about Kurt Russell. And because um, 80s Kurt Russell's just... Oh, pretty sight to Ooh. behold. Oof. Uh, especially in uh, the John Carpenter movie season. Because uh-huh. think about it. So he, he's in this one. He's got a beautiful mane of hair, a wonderful mm-hmm. hat, a glorious beard. Then you have Big Trouble in Little China, maybe the sexiest mullet in all of existence. <laughs> and then you I have. I would pause it. <laughs> and no, no, no. Have... Go on. I and have a rebuttal have, already. Uh, Escape from New York. Where he, again, the hair is 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 just fantastic. But he's got a muscle shirt on. He's got like the like the tough guy seventies and eighties like uh you know just like uh almost sandpaper like g- gritty stubble. And he talks like this the whole time. And he wears a fucking eye patch. <laughs> yeah, uh, my mom was super stoked because <laughs> she has a big. I told her I was going to watch the thing, and she has a big thing for Overboard, Kurt Russell. Um, which is a similar like timeline, which is a problematic movie now that I'm like thinking okay. about it, having watched it when I was little. But uh, but yeah, Kurt Russell, man. So that was really really my only exposure to it going in is oh you're gonna have a good time. I think the funny thing about Kurt Russell's like timeline as an actor is like like basically his 80s career that kind of made him who we know him as 80s Kurt Russell were the movies that he's kind of most identified with is The Thing and uh, Escape from New York were like four or five years after his last Disney movie. So he's still like, he was a Disney youngin, uh, known for young Disney leads. And all of a sudden he just completely hard breaks 
It's like, I'm going to totally change up who I am as an actor. And so seeing these now, after I watch a few random Kurt Russell seventies, Disney movies on Disney plus, it kind of had this sense of like, Oh, it's that guy. Oh, wow. This is very recently after he just did that movie in 77. Like there's kind of like, that's something that I kind of got recently in terms of through rewatching the thing, I kind of applied me kind of going a pivot of his other career and then back to the thing. Yeah. Is he Zac Efron? Basically. <laughs> he, he's essentially the first Zac Efron you can say. Uh, no, no, no. Yeah, Z- Zac, 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 Zac Efron is so Zac Efron is him. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm saying like, is there a parallel in their careers where they were Disney lads? I would, I would say. And then they went on to bigger and better things potentially and grew into their own so. human. And then hard, then hard, like hardball, right. With like, I'm going to play a very dark character. Like Zach Efron playing Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy. And oh, yeah. That's fair. So I just want to kind of go go around the the Zoom squares and just get everybody's thoughts on this. Like once you know it kind of all played out, because I I was you know I was enjoying because since I I once we kind of got going into it, I was like okay, I was remembering things, so I was enjoying hearing people's reactions because. I think this can be kind of like a very visceral movie with all the the kind of body horror that mm-hmm. that is involved in it. So just kind of going around the the zoom squares. Anybody can kick this off. I just want to get um, everybody's kind of thoughts on when we were we were watching it. I love the practical effects. Oh, VFX, <laughs> the makeup, Chef's kiss. Like it's so good, it's incredible, and it makes it. I feel like a little bit more uncomfortable and scary because you've like, look what they've done you can touch it and you know, it's, they're not just like, it's, yes, it's tactile. Like exactly. There's just something awesome about practical effects and it shows like, Oh my God, it's great. Practical effects and horror makeup greater than symbol. CGI. Correct. <laughs> In most cases. Anybody else? Uh, this is probably my third time seeing it, so it, it still holds up as a movie. I would. I would Can I ask say, how recent was the, the last time? I would say last, I think two Halloweens ago. Uh, and the okay. first time I so, saw it was maybe I was like in, I think freshman year of high school. It was when we first got HBO for our family house because we got direct TV. And so I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna watch all these movies that are on HBO. And all of a sudden, I'm like, what's this? The thing? I'll watch a few minutes of this before bedtime. And then I'm like, staying it. <laughs> bad idea. It was the same thing with Poltergeist and Alien, where I'm like, oh, it's nine o'clock. I'll watch this little movie and then pause it and watch the rest of the morning. No, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and on, oddly enough, I do have a thing with body horror, but something about the thing, I think the fact that it's more like alien body horror, but there's this kind of this sense of like fascination and disgust versus like, me with Hellraiser where I'm like, no, 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 don't, don't do that. Get away. No. Um, but like something about the thing, I think was kind of the exception to my very reluctance to watch anything body horror. Well, there could be an argument to be made that the body horror is unique in this, in the fact that it doesn't necessarily equate to suffering on the victim at that point, because right. the conversion and the, you know, I, I suppose like, I, I don't know if infection is the right word, but, you know, uh, 
Because yeah, yeah, well, yeah, because it's a it's a contagion basically. It's like a virus. That, that's yeah. that's yeah, that's already happened. So at that point, like it's really gross and gnarly. But I think that there's it's it's different in the way it's not crossing that body horror plus torture porn thing that Hellraiser has, where it's like <laughs> a person that's still alive and they're like, ah, you know, suffering right. and everything. And it's just more like, oh, that's so gross yeah. and gnarly. Yeah, because once they're, they're going through those changes, they're already basically gone. Like, the, yeah, the people don't human. really exist anymore. Right, right. Anybody else um, want to go next? Yeah, I, um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed can- the film. It was a weird, like, I, I um, had a hard time accepting that the, the dog was going to be <laughs> the thing um, initially. I was like, hey, no, it's not no. happening. Man, many of you had a hard time accepting the dog as an it element. It didn't help that there was a husky in the backyard with us. So I was like, well, yeah. if I accept that Let's- that's Thing, then um, there's a lot of other problems I'm going to have to address. No, we, we can totally talk about the dog because the dog really is the red herring and mm-hmm. is is the first, mm-hmm. it, which is which is such a br- like oh dude the the writers did such a good job at using that as a vehicle to introduce like the, this alien and contingent because humans have this natural thing where you want to trust the dog. And mm-hmm. so instantly, because I do remember the beginning, and when everybody's like, no, why are they shooting at the dog? No. I thought, oh, you suckers. <laughs> you suckers. And uh, yeah, because the dog just seems, you know, totally innocent. And, you know, and, and arguably, like, yeah, the dog is innocent, but it, it becomes a vehicle for the the thing to get in and, and infiltrate this base. Yeah, um, the- and the scene where that the the dog that is infected um, goes into the kennel with the other ones and then just starts like like not even slowly just like very quickly destroying all of the other dogs in the kennel like that scene is probably of all the other scenes is gonna stick with me forever. <laughs> it's it's pretty haunting. Uh, the thing that I love about that is like the like I said the vehicle for the the alien to be introduced is that it really kind of plays with the archetype of fear of the unknown and fear of the other, which is something they massively explore in this movie. Cause as soon as then it's, it's, you know, determined that, well, okay, this is a shape shifting alien. And once the process is complete, it can look just like any of us. So then it's like distrust, 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 distrust. Mm-hmm. But I love that the dog is, is the, is the introductory vehicle for that because my argument would be, let's say one of the survivors from, I think it's a Finnish or Swedish, 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 uh, that other base, Norwegian. Yes. Thank you. Um, let's say a survivor came to them. I think that the way that you have to write human nature would be, there would be a small amount of distrust with that. Whereas the dog, there was, Hardly any question. Maybe there was like one or two of those cats that were like, oh, why'd you bring the dog in here? But it was not mm-hmm. like, that dog has a fucking alien in it. <laughs> you know? And I, I love that that's, that's how they then introduce this fear of the other, fear of the unknown, which, you know, are very like, very old school, you know, uh, archetypes and horror and in storytelling. And so I thought that's just masterful writing. Oh, yeah. 
Plus, right. like, what they don't implies it, intelligence on the aliens' part. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it implies an, or opportunity. But intelligence is way more interesting to write. So let's just assume that alien's intelligent rather than just, oh, look, there's a dog. <laughs> but yeah. but uh, we'll say, okay, I would say that they are one and the same because I think that the opportunity isn't that, oh, well, they, look, there's a dog. I think the opportunity is that that is the Trojan horse that is going to get it Yeah, the into, dog can get me in there. In the mm. trusting arms of these other people that, you know, have not been yet infected. Yeah, because that's the thing, like, uh, they all let the dog just roam around stuff, and it's not until someone asks about the dog and go, oh, yeah, it was doing some weird behavior. It was staring at me for a long time. And then it's just, like, putting in the kennel with the other dogs. And then the dogs immediately were like, we don't like this. (laughs) Yeah, then noticing that that even if if something is just slightly off, but not really noticing it, because overall nothing weird is super happening. Yeah, it's like the creep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically... The other dogs funny. know what's up, though. You put that the weird dog with them, and they would just know. What's funny is like kind of like, I, can't, I thought this during a movie where I'm like, oh, this is like Schrodinger's dog. Is the thing, or is it not the thing? Is it, is it only the thing when we're seeing it? <laughs> like, yes. I kept thinking that this was just like a massive game of Among Us. Oh, yeah. Or like any of those other game types. There's one on Jackbox where you're trying to figure out who the yeah. bad guy is, or Avalon, or witches, or whatever those. I I hate them because I'm I bad think- at them. But there's lots of this type of game around, and that's just what it reminded me of. So you guys know more about movies than I do. Do you? Is this the first time that that's really been explored in a like? There's an imposter in a, a remote scenario. No. Type the of original movie? that this is based on is it came from another world another planet. It came from outer space. I think it was. No, the thing, the thing from another world. Yeah. Thing from another world. Uh, basically there's a lot of movies with it and thing in the beginning, but this came out in 51, I want to say <laughs> uh, directed by Howard Hawks. And basically it plays up a very similar narrative. There isn't like that whole, oh, it's one of us, but there is a sense of it came out as a byproduct of essentially McCarthyism and like the Red Scare. And the 80s were kind of that resurgence of this fear of Russia in the case fear of communism as well. Cold and War, history. yeah. And so literally I feel like the, 80, the 80s and the 50s, uh, uh, as, as many movies have kind of showed us, is there's a lot of parallels and there's very similar anxieties. And the whole fear of the other in the situation that like, oh, the other is us. We've seen that in Night of the Living Dead. We've seen that in The Thing. We've seen that in um, the sense of the invader, whether it's a human or an alien. Like one could say alien is a very similar kind of notion of a fear of a a central like invader coming into our sense of uh, comfort and a sense of like where we feel safe. Yeah, I, I could totally see how that could be an allegory for the communist scare where, you know, it's like, okay, well, oh my gosh, especially with like, with, you know, with Ronald Reagan as the president, that was just jammed down Americans' throats of like, oh, you know, your, your next door neighbor could be a commie. And so if, the, if that was the allegory that they were going for in this, I think it is like, it's definitely done very, very well because... I, the, the infighting is is really I, I think done uh, written extremely well in terms of I love that the the vehicle for the infighting is that the blood test mm-hmm. 
that builds up so much tension. That whole scene where they finally execute the blood test and it's going one by one and you're waiting like, okay, who is it? Who is yeah. it? Oh yeah. Is, no, is, I love is, when you were gonna when you were talking about body horror, I was <laughs> I was thinking of um, of that exact scene when they're doing the blood test and like the blood test isn't even like, oh the you know, the blood turns a different color or like it starts to, to like steam or bubble. It's like, no, a fucking like body it starts to grow out of like this deformed body starts to grow out of this like petri right. dish of blood. And it's so like gory and horrific. Um, and then they're all sitting around just waiting one by one to find out. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's very um like it's it's a great one to kind of keep you on the edge of your of your seat, um, and but like and be so horrific at the same time. Right. So I think another. I don't know what I expected. <laughs> I think another th- interesting thing that they play with, uh, aside from the archetype of like fear of the other and fear of the unknown, is isolation and in turn claustrophobia. Because isolation, you know, even in this expanse of. Antarctica because of the harsh conditions you have to be indoors most of the time which you know has a sense of claustrophobia and 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 obviously the isolation just you know they can't really go anywhere and you're stuck with the same people and you're trapped with these people that could potentially be an alien and I was I I guess the last time I saw this I I didn't it was so long ago that I, I didn't really take it into consideration these kind of themes that they're exploring and the just the simple choice to have the setting be in Antarctica completely changed the game with the, with the whole sense of isolation and claustrophobia because the argument can be made like, Oh, let's just say this was like, you know, some sort of scientific test site in the rainforest. Okay, that's a har- harsh area, but it's not nearly as harsh as Antarctica. Like there, you could, you could maybe you know leave that place and if need be. Whereas you know they're talking about oh well, it's a hundred degrees below once you know the sun starts to set. Like you will literally die within minutes if you're out there. So just that that choice of setting, really, which is that's not a thing in the, in the, uh, original, uh, that this is based off of. So I think that was a masterful choice in, in setting and in, um, and in location because yeah. it forces them to stay in this one spot. Well, and you're right. And it can, it does feed I think to off the like up, psychological oh. horror of like, is it potential that we're all just feeding off of our own fears and that nothing bad is actually happening? And then you're killing people for no reason, which is never right. a good idea. But I think if they remake this, that rather than going from Antarctica, because our social consciousness is now kind of headed towards outer space, has been for a bit, I think it'll be on Mars. Like, they shouldn't they remake have. this movie. Don't get me wrong. Fuck, they yeah, have? Why? It's, uh, and it, it also what? takes, it is also it in Norwegian? takes place in uh, Antarctica. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. When did they do the remake? Um, 2011. Uh, you, did you say 2011? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I hope that you can't re- you can't you can't always reinvent the wheel. Um, and I I think the, the, yeah. I don't know. I, I, but space is like so hot right now. Like they well, put creepy horror stuff out there where you can't. Sleep. I guess that's I was gonna say here's I was that was gonna be my argument is like I'm, <laughs> that's alien. 
Um, and so, and I think that's why this was a smart decision to, to ground this, you know, on, on earth and, you know, make it in a, it's obviously science fiction, but it's, it's contemporary and I don't know. There's something a little more relatable about that than, than the setting of alien, which is it's, it's, that movie is equally terrifying, but obviously, you know, we, as a, you know, species, we have not got to that point of interstellar travel. Whereas, you can disassociate you know, more. Right. And, and whereas like, you know, these sort of like scientific base bases, like absolutely exist. So I, I think it's a little more grounded in reality. And, and, and I think I'm glad that they, they chose this because, you know, even though the, the alien in it is very different, it, I think it would have been, you know, marred as kind of like, well, that's kind of a knockoff of the, of, of alien. Yeah, well, it was during a time when sci-fi horror was becoming so popular that, um, right. yeah, I think I agree that it is a good choice for them to to ground in more into, like, the world we know and live in. So is anybody here uh, familiar with John Carpenter's other films, like the original Halloween or Big Trouble yeah. Little China, any of that stuff? Uh, few of them. Escape from New York? So one thing that I noticed, and I kind of wanted to briefly talk about this um, in watching this, there are some classic John Carpenter stuff because he de- he definitely, I would argue, is kind of an auteur in like in the sense that he has some stylistic things. Mainly being, you know, he writes the score for almost all his films. But this, I think, is hidden for this one. Uh, let's look it up. I, th- no, um, they got Ennio Morricone. I don't know who, th- who that is. Isn't that the guy from, oh, okay. Okay. yeah. So, yeah, the spaghetti yeah. Western. So I, I you yeah. know, as I was watching this, I, you know, since watching it from the first time, I, I've seen a ton of John Carpenter films and I was watching it. And I'm like, this is almost the least John Carpenter, John Carpenter film. And, but arguably it like that, this escape from New York, big trouble in little China, Halloween are like his, his best, you know, work and, and most notable films. Did anybody else kind of get that vibe watching this? If you're kind of comparing it to like a Halloween, um, or am I alone in this? (laughs) I think so, because essentially what that Halloween the thing among also uh, Escape from New York and Big Trouble trying to have in common is the lead is essentially obviously a reluctant hero. They don't really choose to kind of take helm and fix the problem. They're kind of thrown in this and they're like, oh, God damn it, I got to deal with this now. More Kurt Russell, of course, but in the Jimmy Lee Curtis moment is they're basically, I don't know, they're definitely different uh, protagonists and different like, heroes in the sense of the movies of like presentation of what the world is that they're in but they're both essentially in the scenario where they have to react to the circumstances they're under that's fair yeah that's a that's a fair assessment i feel like it was also like the cinematography was different because so much of i think i like big trouble in little china 
um, and like Halloween, a lot of it is taking place in like interiors where there's a, there's obviously like a decent amount of that. And that feels very claustrophobic, but then, you know, even though it has this like setting of Antarctica, there is like a lot that takes place like outdoors. And then since it's Antarctica, it's just this like open snowy expanse aside from, you know, like some of the stormy scenes. So a lot of it feels a lot more opened up. So the cinematography felt noticeably different. Um, in in a subtle way, but in, in enough of a way that it, it I, I noticed it um, because like Halloween is the cinematography is very kind of slow. It's very uh, paced and, and methodical. And this kind of goes from kind of really big, wide, expansive shots. I mean, like the opening with like the dog are just giant landscape shots that just shows you how vast all this is. And then it's kind of like really tight in the pocket, you know, horrific shots of like details of, you know, the, this body horror. And it kind of plays that, that back and forth throughout. And that feels a little different than, than some of his other work. I actually caught a little bit of the opposite because one of the, well, it's probably just because of what I remember about Halloween is a little bit different. I remember the shot of Jamie Lee Curtis looking out the window and seeing Michael Myers by the, mm-hmm. the laundry. Yeah. Am I getting that right? Yeah. And there was a lot of like looking, somebody being inside and then looking outside and seeing the bad guy. And then in the thing, you get a bit of like looking outside and then seeing, you know, the light on in the cabin or people sneaking around or running around outside when they shouldn't be, they should all be together and under watch. So that kind of felt a little similar mm-hmm. to me, but that's probably just because that scene with Michael Myers. Creepy I right wonder, out and it's I wonder if that's memory. because uh, this might be really di- diving way too far out into the weeds, but I wonder if that is just like narrative wise, because in Halloween, you have the antagonist is on the outside trying to get in, whereas in The Thing, you then have the antagonist is already in with everybody else, and they're trapped inside. Mm-hmm. You can't really go outside all that much. I don't I don't know if that's a, dis- a decided way difference. Thing- um, I, I, like I said, I don't know. I might just be making connections that really aren't there, but... <laughs> Oh, do it. Definitely Go for it. Profound comparison. There's definitely some intrigue in that. Like, essentially, the thing is almost a, uh, a metaphor for what happens when distrust mm-hmm. essentially takes over. Uh, our uh, yeah, people. no, totally. Like, they, they they absolutely explore that. And I think that in, in sort of, like, high-stress, tense situations, you either see the best of people or the absolute worst of people. And there's people that will rise mm-hmm. to the occasion and, you know, handle an emergency situation well. And I think arguably that's the, the Kurt Russell character. You know, like you said, he's kind of like, okay, well, somebody's got to be the freaking leader and have some reason and, you know, uh, to, to all this. Yeah. Uh, high school group where he's like, I guess I'm holding this whole Right, you know, now. and then you have Thanks. the people that are instantly like, no, let's kill that motherfucker, <laughs> you know, and it like, <laughs> do we actually know that's the, the you know, the alien? And uh, so it, it definitely explores that because it, like, yeah, in any of those crisis sorts of situations, 
you are going to have very decidedly different reactions from the people involved. And it's a good character study in, in that regard. So I want to ask you guys kind of wrapping this up. I want to talk about the ending because I didn't quite re I remember how it ultimately ends, but I didn't remember the scene like to, to a T and as we were watching it, I was very struck and intrigued by how it plays out and then kind of ended up doing a, a bit of a dive online afterwards because in my mind, it's a very ambiguous ending. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, absolutely. the suggestion almost being that, you know, uh, Kurt Russell doesn't necessarily trust that the guy that he's left with is actually human and his like, you know, thing of like, uh, I don't remember exactly what the line is. Let me look it up, but it's, it's something to kind of like to the effect of, Oh, we're going to, well, we're going to kind of wait it out and see that, you know, he's going to sit there. He's going to drink his whiskey, wait for this motherfucker to turn and kill him. Um, mm. let's, uh, when he like at one point explicitly quote. says like, well, we may not both make it out of here. Like, you know, <laughs> and it's not like a, so, you're not going to make it out, but like we probably both aren't going to. Okay. So, uh, Keith David is, is, uh, the, the character of Childs. the last it's him and, and McCready, Kurt Russell's character. And this is, this is their dialogue to a T child says fire's got the temperature up all over the camp. Won't last long. And then McCready says, neither will we. So he's kind of, you know, they're kind of coming to terms with like, well, we're outside. We're, we're, we're going to eventually die. Child says, how will we make it? McCready says, maybe we shouldn't. And he said, then Childs goes, well, if you're worried about me, McCready answers with, if we've got any surprises for each other, I don't think we're in much shape to do anything about it. And then Childs says, well, what do we do? And McCready, as he opens up his bottle of whiskey and begins to uh, take a drink, he says, why don't we just wait here for a little while and see what happens? So I want to know what everybody's interpretation of this. My interpretation is that he's going to try to survive long enough because he 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 thinks that Childs is is the thing. What what does everybody else think of this? Are they just gonna die together in the snow? It was so ambiguous. You could make a point for anything. Like you could make a point for Childs thinking that McCready was uh, infested with the thing. You could go vice versa. You could say that both of them are, are fine and human and but they, there's no way for them to know so it's better to just die together in the snow drinking a little whiskey and or even if they are both fine and they do both figure it out didn't they destroy everything oh, they're, gonna, they're going to die regardless. so they're going to die yes. anyway yes. yeah so it's almost like better finish I mean, that whiskey <laughs> yeah like we, we have very few pleasures left let's just have a little whiskey and hang out because no matter what it doesn't matter either we're human and we die or we're the thing and we just hibernate and there's nothing we can do about That's it. Totally fair. Yeah, some hopelessness. Yeah. In yeah I, I do think once you get hopeless enough, I do think McCready was suspicious of the other guy, but I, I would say that I think it would be within his character to be suspicious of himself too. And like not trusting that he's not also infected and doesn't know it, you know? Um, so like, I feel like it'd be well within his character to just kind of be like, yeah, well, I don't trust that you're not infected. So we're just going to kill all, everything or all of us, you know, that's a yeah, totally it, fair point. 
I, I was always kind of on the fence on believing if uh, McCready was essentially infected because the reason why I always thought he was human in the end is the fact that like the timing of how long it took the Walter Brimley character, the doctor, to essentially turn was a lot, and he was infected first. And so I'm thinking, well, in terms of like length of time to for full complete takeover, wouldn't have McCready been fully taken over by now? But kind of like what you're saying, there's this whole like, wait, maybe he was infected and at some other point, you don't know. So almost nip it in the bud, play it safe, everyone dies. And I kind of, I could interpret it as two different ways. Like I've always believed two different theories, essentially the one theory that like trials is a thing. Uh, and that like the whole him giving the whiskey bottle to Childs, because earlier in the movie, when you see McCready setting up the dynamite and about to like push it down and around him, you see Molotov cocktails. So he like filled them with gasoline, his empty whiskey bottles, and he passes right. it to Childs. And of course, uh, an alien wouldn't know what whiskey or gasoline tastes like. So uh, yeah, I read a whole article that was that was saying that same thing, which is an interesting notion. And of course, like on the human level, one could say this whole thing is just a metaphor for really distrust is our downfall, and it will be our downfall in the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's the other side that, like uh, Rachel brought up, the whole that, like, well, we don't really know who's really infected anymore. We're all infected in the sense of infection being we're all essentially distrustful of each other. So the only way to really be out of this is if we all die in the fire. Uh, there's a funny little thing I found out from an interview with the cinematographer, uh, Dean Cundy, where this, uh, I think it was a fan was watching the movie to try to find our visual way to essentially point out who's human and who's not. And apparently is if you follow the eyes uh, from when someone's human and then infected, there's a kind of a lighting tweak. There's more oh. of a shimmer in their eyes if they're human, and there's more shadowing in their eyes if they're not. So there's a whole oh. sense of lighting that is an, an unseen element that I never took into account until after I saw it the third time, where okay. I'm like, where are some of the visual cues? And then I found this little interview where the, literally the cinematographer blatantly says straight up, but I kind of like, I kind of, I was annoyed the fact that they kind of, handed you oh no here's what happened and i'm like uh give us a little bit of like unknown still at the same time like don't don't give us don't tell us the sausage recipes so soon okay anybody else so- my inclination because i'm an asshole is to say so soon wasn't this movie made in 1982 <laughs> you're right about that yeah i'm sorry so uh does, did anybody have any issues with the ambiguous ending? I know that sometimes not having a definitive sort of ending can, can bother some people. I I, I liked it. I'm anybody usually good know? with ambiguous endings. It made, made sense. Yeah, I didn't have an issue with it. Okay. I thought it was okay. It's more horrifying. And it, it makes sense with the, the whole not knowing anything yeah, from the beginning that, that, thing. Yeah. Why should you know anything at the end? Really, no one will know what happened there. No one really know what happened to these men and what they had to do to like to get to the situation. They'll basically be essentially they'll basically be the Norwegians' corpses that the Americans found. They'll just be the next. They'll be almost like I think the real dread is the fact that oh, it's a continuous cycle uh, of like because it can hibernate, right? So there's no way to get rid of it. So even if all the humans die, then whoever finds that expedition, the only way to like wipe it off the map would be to completely destroy 
their entire setup and they weren't able to do that. So somebody's going to find it. finally woke in 2011 when it broke out of the ice to do the sequel, the remake sequel. Oh no. Is that really uh, the plot? It's basically a prequel of the Norwegians, but it's all done with American British actors doing American accents. So it's kind of yeah, okay. weird. Okay. Are they supposed to be the Norwegians? Are, and they keep Oh, where okay. they'll like reenact scenes from the original movie, but it's not supposed to be a remake. It's supposed to be a prequel. And it's very kind of, it doesn't know what it wants to be. It's trying to be to the fans, mm-hmm. but also be original. And it doesn't use enough practical effects. But I'll just leave it. Mm. Basically, don't see it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Save your, save your hour. I, mean, I know we all love Mary Elizabeth Weinstead and we all love John Edgerton, Josh Edgerton. They're both in that movie. Don't, Joel, yeah. Joel Edgerton. And they're in better stuff. Better stuff. Oh, yeah. I don't need to fix that bad. But thank you. So, kind of wrapping this up, let's talk uh, about would you recommend this to somebody? Now, everybody having having watched it. Jimmy, yeah. Jimmy's non yes? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you can this yes. I mean, it wouldn't be the first movie I thought of to recommend to someone, but if we were talking about it, I'd be like, you should see it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so let's just kind of go around the zoom squares again. Give, give me a rating on it. What, what did you, uh, what did you ultimately think out of 10 stars? All right. Uh, 10 for me, uh, 10 out of 10 stars, uh, mainly because I think this might've been one of the first like real intense horror movies that I remember seeing that left an impact, but also made me want to rewatch it, which for a while that was kind of a hard thing to do when I was in middle high school years. Uh, and the fact that if I were to do like a top 10 favorite horror movies, this would be in that top 10. So like still, even after seeing it three times, uh, especially the fact seeing it with people that haven't seen it, it kind of makes it fresh. And I think that also helps make it a consistently 10 out of 10. And sure. It's a tight movie. It's not too long. It's still under two hours. Uh, hour and 49. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I'd say like nine out of okay. 10 because it, um, it still was, it, it's one of those like horror movies that I feel people should see that, that it makes sense of, you're going to understand references to things. You're going to get why people are into this sort of genre. You're going to understand more for having seen it. So even if uh, for me in particular, that concept is unsettling for me. And so it, it um, prevents me from giving it a full 10 out of 10. I feel like that's a really hard pinnacle to get to. Um, but yeah, nine out of 10, definitely something that people should see. Just like Alien, Agreed, you gotta yeah. see Alien. I don't, even, I don't even like horror movies all that much, but I'll, the thing and Alien are right. Like you gotta yeah, see those. I'm, I'm good with like nine out of 10. It, yeah, kind of pioneering a genre a little bit. Um, and I, uh, mm-hmm. I, I think mostly it's just that like I would need to watch it again in order to be able to um, go all full force into like a ten out of ten rating, um, just to make sure like it is as good as I remember, you know. <laughs> so um, sure. I think that um, yeah, nine out of ten I think is a solid good spot for it. Okay, Kirsty, Cynthia. Oh, say now. Um, I did not like it as much as the rest of the group apparently. <laughs> That's totally I fine. Like a seven. 
because I don't know. It's just not one of my favorites, and I could go without saying it again. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah, I'm I'm around there seven seven and a half eight because I absolutely adore the practical effects. Oh yeah. my god, that's really, um, really good. That's why I would see it again just to see those. And it's yeah. it's really good. I really like it. But once again, it's it's just not like my first choice in horror films when I go to think of one to watch. Um, but doesn't mean there's anything wrong with it, right? There is definitely that sign of like, when it comes to horror movies is once you know how it ends, what makes you want to come back to it? And I think the thing has that where people want to see the practical effects again. That's kind of one line. Because of course, once you know the ending, there's kind of like, well, the, what's the suspense? So really, I think the only thing that made me enjoy rewatching a second time is the revisiting of practical effects and then paying attention to the subtler uh, cinematic techniques. Right. It doesn't, of course, have, there, there's not a single laugh in the movie, of course. It doesn't have, like, that comedic rewatchability or the subtle uh, nuances that, like, one could say that, like, like the creep ha- unintendedly contributed to its sense of improv. But it's, uh, I feel weird comparing the thing to the creep. The, right. The, okay. <laughs> so all, different. I, I guess it's, I mean, it's, like, that's kind of the hard thing about horror movies is, like, I would say for me, I, I definitely will agree with uh, Cynthia. Uh, Cynthia and the fact that like I probably wouldn't be the fifth thing I want to rewatch unless I'm with a group of people. Uh, I would say I would put that it's one of my favorite horror movies, but I, I say that every time I rewatch it, it's always been with a group of people. Hmm. Okay, it's interesting distinction. And it was definitely I've never watched a horror movie outdoors before, so this was definitely there was this was the first one of the evening, and this was the first time that I'd had to experience right. that. And uh, granted, we were with a, a, a large group of people that could probably fend off a werewolf <laughs> or something. But, but yeah, it just, it, that is a, yeah, that was, that added an extra element of it for me is, is being creeped out in, in three yeah, dimensions. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I do think that the uh, added experience of like having it be our first like outdoor spooky movie and spooky season kind of thing definitely, uh added to um how much i enjoyed it yeah yeah matt does not live in the burbs <laughs> so it's it's not like you're watching it in my backyard and you hear like the neighbors in the hot tub right. next door are also watching it because they can see the projector or that's <laughs> yeah, nothing like that it is uh remote <laughs> for me this is definitely essential horror and I quite enjoyed watching this because it had been so long. So it was like, like I said, rewatching it again for the first time, but it reiterated why it has that distinction of being one of the, the finest horror films of all time. And I, and I think it, it absolutely needs to be in that conversation. Interestingly enough, it is one of only four horror films that are in the IMDb top 250, which I found very, very interesting. Um, and I personally, I would give it a flat uh, eight. Mm-hmm. But again, this might be skewed by kind of how, I don't know, the, you know, getting so into these IMDb ratings have shaped me because, uh, for instance, so it actually has an 8.1. Nice. And, but, so just for some perspective, 
I think this is just a personal pre- personal preference, but I think that the top three horror films, just kind of trying to think of it objectively, I'm just gonna just rail them off the top of my head: The Shining, Silence of the Lambs, The Exorcist. If, yeah. if I had if I had to do a top three, fair. And 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 I think that those films slightly edge the thing, just at, at, like at taking a holistic approach. And just for some perspective, uh, Silence of the Lambs has an 8.6 out of 10 on IMDb. Like, but again, this isn't like, this isn't the end all be all. It's, it's just, you know, people's opinions. The Exorcist has an 8 out of 10. The Shining has an 8.4 out of 10. Um, and again, that doesn't mean a whole lot. But in my mind, uh, I can actually just... I know off the top of my head uh, what I've given these films on IMDb. The Shining, that's a solid nine for me. Exorcist, solid nine. Silence of the Lambs, solid nine. So it, with just the principle of that, I, I have to say that for me, the thing is is an eight. But in my mind, an eight is a really damn good movie. Oh, yeah. So, and, uh, you know, and especially for... And I almost hate saying this because I love horror so much, but I'm going to go and say, especially for a horror film. I do not like that phrase, but. No, but there's uh, you a lot know, of crappy the, horror out, so. Th- yeah, there, there can be some truth to it, but um, I, I think it is a bit of a derogatory phrase, kind of like, oh, well, the genre as a whole is like, it's lowbrow. And I think films like yeah, this definitely are kind of, uh, you know, transcend that, that that stigma in my, in my mind. I so, think I, oh, I might have to change my score if that's all right. Kind of being a little more self-reflective hearing myself talk, I might change mine to, I think a nine out of 10, uh, kind of like once kind of thinking more, I'm like, okay, the fact that I kind of literally said why I don't rewatch it a lot, <laughs> drop it down from 10 out of 10 to nine out of 10. So like, yeah. Degraded. <laughs> yeah. But I am openly okay with the fact that the reason I rated it 9 out of 10 is because I watched it with friends at at a spooky house in a spooky setting with homemade popcorn and, like, animals wandering around in the background. In fact, there was a husky on the ground Mm -hmm. near our feet while we were watching the thing. Like, it was just, it was, it was very, that was not in a bubble. Yeah, yeah. So the, the, the people you watch it with really do affect how you think of things, just like any life experience that what happens to you and who you're with is important. So, yeah. yeah and everybody... It's what, so what you got to watch with people, Jim. And everybody consumes horror films differently. Um, you know, I, I think like the kind of fan that I am for horror films is very different than, than you know, a lot of other people's appreciation for, for horror movies. You know, where... I could totally see why somebody would go, I love this movie. Don't really want to watch it again, you know, but it's, so I think it's, it's just, it's, it's different strokes for different folks. Um, and that's a, that's an interesting thing about horror because understandably, you know, some people are going to go, well, yeah, I'm good. Like not seeing like, you know, a, uh, a dog turn into like a giant monster more than once. <laughs> so with that, I think we should wrap this up. Thanks so much, everybody, for joining me and talking about these two movies. And I hope that we can reconvene for uh, week three and four. We got uh, 
two more weekends of four more real uh, fun movies. And it was awesome hearing everybody's perspectives on these. Uh, you all brought some some really fun and interesting viewpoints on these. And so thanks for, for being on. You're welcome. Aww. Yeah, thanks fun. for having us. Okay, and which one of you assholes is the alien? <laughs> it's always me. <laughs> all right. I'm sorry. I'm always the bad guy. Later, sure. folks. Okay, you nerds, that's the episode. Thanks so much to my guest host, Jimmy Levins, and my guests, Rachel Herzog, Kirsty Hicks, Cynthia Borders, and Amanda Murphy for joining me and discussing The Thing and Creep. It was a very, very fun conversation. Great horror films, both in their own rights. If you haven't seen them, you probably shouldn't have listened to this episode because it got you got a lot of spoilers. But if you haven't seen them and you did listen, make sure you check them out. And if you have seen them and it's been a while, especially with Things, since it's been out for a long, 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 long time, I'd recommend checking it out. They, that holds up, and Creep is a, is a very surprising movie if you haven't seen it. If you're digging what I'm doing here on Nerds with Opinions, make sure that you're following me on social media at Twitter and Instagram at nerds underscore opinions, and on Facebook, Nerds with Opinions. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, rate and review this episode. It really, really helps me out. If you're on Spotify, just make sure you're following Nerds with Opinions on Spotify. And, you know, if you feel like sharing this with some friends, that just is really awesome and helps me out. As always, I'm your host, Matt Holbin, and you have been listening to Nerds with Opinions.